Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston, and it is incumbent upon me to remind you that we call this show Drilling Deep because we drill deep into an issue of the week, and we'll do that in a few moments. But it is also because we talk about oil and we talk about diesel and how that impacts the transportation sector, and you need to drill to get oil, hence Drilling Deep. Our guest this week is Jeff Pape, who runs the transportation business at U.S. Bank. They process millions of trucking invoices and have a strong perspective on the state of the market. He'll be with us soon. I almost feel like uh, at this point of drilling deep, I have to throw out everything I said a week ago because the market continues to go insane. Here's what I didn't expect this week, that for the last few trading days before I record this, the price of diesel suddenly has weakened relative to crude and gasoline. Remember, we've talked here before about how incredibly strong diesel is, and we've discussed some of the reasons. And just in the past few days on the futures market, there's been a sudden reversal of that. And there's no obvious reason for that unless the traders' charts just saw this spread between crude and diesel and gasoline and diesel and said, this is so far out of of our historical data that it can't last. So let's sell into the spread. Meanwhile, the news as to what is driving diesel continues to be mostly bullish, except for one thing. The price of natural gas in Europe measured by the TTT Dutch price index, continues to fall. This week, it dropped below $39 per million BTUs. A month ago, it was over $55, and two months ago, it was close to $100. So that is a clear downward factor. Remember, diesel is a substitute for natural gas in many applications. But at the same time, there was an article this week published by S&P Global Commodities Insights, the former Platts, where I worked for many years, which reported that in Europe, even with the declining price of natural gas there, that demand for diesel and products similar to diesel is rising because of companies switching out of natural gas and into into, uh, diesel for various industrial applications. The story cites, quote, renewed buying interest from heating and power plants. But the article also said that the switching had slowed recently and quoted a trader as saying that the full effect of that switch will be shown when there is a real gas outage. But the story also cited by name a German utility as having switched from gas to diesel to generate electricity and that it's going on elsewhere. Then we have the U.S. weather. If you spent any time watching the Weather Channel this past week, you saw lots of maps with blue and white all over them as average temperatures in much of the country were way below normal. And that resulted in a lot more natural gas usage for heating pretty early in the season. Turning once again to the former Platts Group, over S&P Global, it reported that Midwest demand for natural gas was up at levels that usually don't get reached until November. The weather being the weather, this could be just a short-term phenomenon, but it's already kicked the market at the beginning. They also reported that regional inventories in the Midwest were already running about 8% below normal. And then let's not forget this week's inventory report for the Energy Administration, Energy Information Administration for the entire U.S., It showed that ultra-low sulfur diesel inventories in the U.S. are at about 80% of normal. And all distillates that are not jet, jet fuel is a distillate, but they separate that out for statistical purposes because it's such a unique market, that all the distillate, diesel and heating oil primarily, were down to less than 26 days of cover. Cover means that if the U.S. didn't produce any more distillates and didn't import any at all, that inventories would cover less than 26 days of consumption. It's usually over 30 at this time of year, and some uh, recent years it's been well over 30. 
Add that all up, and it's hard to understand why diesel underperformed crude and gasoline this week. But it did. Sometimes markets move in strange ways. Time for part two of Drilling Deep today, where we talk to our guest of the week. And this week, it is Jeffrey Pape. He is the Senior Vice President and General Manager for Transportation Solutions of U.S. Bank's corporate payment systems. U.S. Bank is the largest processor. They say they are. I have no reason not to doubt that of trucking invoices uh, in the country. So you can imagine the perspective that they have on demand and price. So I've spoken to Jeff or some of his colleagues in the past, and it's great to have him on here, here in a market that is you know, quite volatile and uh, and moving very rapidly. So Jeff, thanks uh, for joining us today on Drilling Deep. Thanks for having me, John. I appreciate it. So why don't you talk about where U.S. Bank sits in the ecosystem, the payments ecosystem. You have carriers and you have shippers. And you also have factoring companies. Uh, where are you in in all of that? Yeah, that's a great question, John. Um, we really sit in in the middle as a facilitator. So our main goal and, and focus is to help both shippers and carriers <clears throat> provide automation and auditing of invoices, and then streamline the payment activities between the two parties. So it's really about transparency. It's about predictability. And it's about making accurate payments to carriers on behalf of shippers on a timely basis. Right. So the shippers are primary. The shippers or the brokers are your clients because if a broker takes a load, then they are the ones that would send the invoice to you. Correct? Yeah. Actually, we view both shippers and carriers as our customers, but we will get the load and the invoice from the shipper. We'll compare that to the rates that we have on file that our carrier customers have provided to us, and then we'll make payment once the invoice is approved and and really help both parties um, create visibility to, to their processes. Now, would a factored invoice come to you or is that does that go separate? Where does the where does the role of factoring come in? Or is that is, is it just a separate stream that would not necessarily get touched by your operations? Well one of the things that we do, John, um, in addition to the auditing and, and advisory services is is we provide trade finance. So we do provide early payment to carriers, which allows shippers to extend their payables or working capital, if you will, and then they can choose how they want to deploy that. So we do offer a trade finance solution as well um, that complements our other our other book of services. Right. So trade so uh, uh, trade finance here would be would help people get paid faster. But I know from speaking to U.S. bank people over the years, they're very adamant that they are not that you do not consider yourself a factoring company. We're not a factoring company. You know, we don't take ownership of those receivables. We're really a facilitator of, of making payments. So um, the trade finance component to us is really a win win. It allows predictable early payment to carriers. It allows shippers to extend terms and utilize their working capital in, in ways that they can't today. All right, let's come back. We'll come back a little more to the speed of payment because it's a it's a subject that's always of great interest to me. Let's talk about what you saw in the third quarter. The, the, the spur to this interview was U.S. Bank every quarter produces an index on both uh, sh- volume, shipments, and spend. And it's very interesting to, to see. It's uh, given the, the base of knowledge or the base of data that the company has. It can provide a very accurate number uh, showing trends in the market. What did you see in the third quarter? Well, we saw a couple of interesting things. You know, this this whole market has been evolving and changing so rapidly over the, uh, the past few years. 
a couple of things that we've seen. We've seen some strength in one of the regions um, that we measure as part of the freight payment index, but we've seen a, a shift from the spot market or the on-demand market for shipping goods back to contracted rates. So across the industry, we have seen where we're, we're getting past the move goods at any cost and get them there as soon as you can. Um, moving back, shippers are moving back to their contracted rates, predictable rates, um, timelines, if you will, to get the goods out to the stores. So that was a big change. Um, we've also seen some regionalization take place. There's um, uh, in the southwest uh, region of the index or in the southwest region of the country, there's a lot of activity around trucking rates coming up from Mexico. There's a focus on some of the, the crude oil production. So that's kind of driven that index. The, re the real focus is to um, provide customers with that visibility at a local level to help them make informed decisions. And we do that, John, by normalizing the data quarter over quarter. We use same measurements um, each month. So number of working days in a month, if you will. And then we adjust for some seasonality. So that really allows us to use a, a chain-based index, which is really the previous quarter as a base. So it takes a lot of the anomalies and, and a lot of the one-off activities out, which really allows us to compare that data quarter over quarter. Think of it probably as same-store sales is probably the best way to think about it. Yeah, that, that's a good analogy because, as you know, I was a little confused by it. I guess maybe it was in the second quarter you showed a decline, um, and, and it just it just didn't look right. But you explained it to me that the chain-based methodology is, is not the same thing as just adding straight volume and making comparisons. Do you want to talk about that a little more and how it works? Yeah, absolutely. So what we do is we have um, – we have millions of transactions that, that we include into our index. And what we do is um, make that anonymous, if you will, um, and really help drive decisions and make uh, help customers provide them, provide information to customers that gives them easy decision making at the local level. So by by doing those things, by normalizing the data, by looking at it from a same store sales activity, and then in consulting with using this chain-based approach, which really, again, allows you to use the previous quarter as a base, you're more easily can show changes over a certain period of time um, that's most relevant to customers. And then the last thing that we do is by providing a regional index with a national view, we allow companies to dig deeper into where they're doing business and make decisions that affect them at really a local level, but keeping an eye on what's happening across the country. So, so we kind of view it as, as a good mix of, mix of all things. Let's talk about some of the specific findings. Truck freight volume contracted 2.6 compared to the second quarter and 4.9% year over year. This is the steepest quarterly drop in shipments since the first three months of 2021. Were you surprised that it was maybe not even more? Or given, given all the talk about a disastrous market, should we view that as maybe not being all that bad? I don't think we should. I don't I don't as a return to what could be very well be the new normal. 
So as we talked about earlier, this movement from more predictable routes, uh, contracted rates, uh, moving away from the the goods have to get out there at, at all costs and as soon as possible. I think you're starting to see a new normal set in uh, between shippers and carriers. And, and what's really driving that is, is from our view, a lot of these shippers returning to their contracted rates with carriers. And so I, I assume then that, that the invoices you process indicate whether that, that's an invoice for a contracted deal or a spot deal, correct? Otherwise, how would you know? Yeah, I mean, as part of our process, right, um, we have contracted rates on file um, and that relationship and exists between shippers and carriers. And we do the audits compared to um, what's a contractor rate and, and what's a spot market rate or on-demand rate. So um, we have some visibility to that, yes, and, and that helps us in our in our uh, auditing and, and processing of invoices. Uh, do you want to, can you give any kind of a ballpark figure on what kind of percentage of the market you think is going from spot to contract? And if you, if you can't put a number on it, you know, you can, you can give it something sort of ordinal, like just a little bit, maybe a lot in between. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good question and a bit of a moving target because you've got different industries moving at different times. Um, I would say we're seeing a general movement back to contracted rates. I'd hate to put a number on it because of the industry segmentation, but I think, you know, over the next six months, we'll see a continued progress back to contracted rates and, you know, where that number sits, will it go back to what it was before the pandemic? That's the part that we're not sure of yet, but there will definitely probably be a new normal that's established. Okay. Let's talk about some of your other numbers. Uh, you mentioned this before, a strong uptick in truck freight activity in the Southwest region prevented deeper declines. Volume in the region jumped 5.8% over the second quarter and 6.6% year over year. That's a lot. Uh, I would say that as far as the oil patch, crude production now is probably about where it was a year ago. Uh, gas production is probably higher. But how, how important or how correlated is that number to oil patch activity? Well, I think there's a there's a certainly a lagging effect from the production to the to the distribution and the movement. Um, what we are seeing is is that heavy truckload of goods that that move out of Mexico, complemented by the oil production, and and I think as you know, we continue to try to address fuel prices. That will probably be a theme that that continues. You know, as, as we've seen other impacts of the economy, um, we've seen in the Midwest, for example, um, some new home construction that slowed a bit. And so that's impacted that is, you know, there are different levers that are or different activities that are happening in each one of these regions that that make it impactful for customers to have that data and, and analyze that as part of their decision making. Right, now, you also have a spend index. Spending by shippers also contracted in the third quarter dropping 2.4% compared to the second quarter. This is only the second quarterly decrease in spending since Q3 2020. And I think it's important to note, if I'm, not, if I'm correct on this, is that fuel expenses are in there. This is not like uh, a publicly traded company reporting its, its earnings and saying sort of revenue net of fuel. That number includes fuel. So that's obviously going to be a lot higher. And yet the spending dropped anyway, which I think probably shows just how deep how much of the drop was in stock and spot rates. That's exactly it, John. You know, fuel is included in that. Um, 
but it does show this progression away from the spot market and, and back to the contracted rate approach. Okay. Let's talk about speed. Um, we, I, you, you noted that you weren't a factoring company. There is a great emphasis on getting people paid even faster. I moderated a panel a few months ago about a new initiative that includes Uber Freight and MasterCard and a company called Branch that says they can get people paid in two hours. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's a very different approach. How much is there in your business this push for speed and, and how much can it gain? Is it just kind of incrementally like, like, you know, take, taking another foot on the beach as, as an army hits the beach? Uh, or are there big gains to be made? According to this initiative I wrote about, uh, they think there are big gains now. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, John. And, you know, with technology evolving the way it is, we see it on a couple of fronts. So first, we're seeing a lot of companies start to adopt, um, APIs and and replacing um, EDI transactions and EDI activity, and that really allows for real-time updates. So that sets the foundation, right? If you can connect via APIs, application protocol interfaces, and, and move away from EDI activity, you start to get real-time data. And, and we're in. We're working right now to deliver real-time payment activity. So once a load is dropped off and the goods are validated or the invoice is approved, you can get paid. You can get someone paid instantly. So using the real-time payments network is something that we're deeply involved with now and talking with customers about to make that immediate payment. And it's all about um, cash flow and predictability. So. The faster you can make that payment to carriers, um, the better off everybody is. So we're deeply involved in that now, and I think that will be the next series. Yeah, I mean, the company that was the company I mentioned named Branch, uh, they would consider themselves a fintech company. Is there a lot of fintech activity aimed at this, not just, I won't say this sector, but just aimed at the payments uh, ecosystem in general? There is a lot of activity with fintechs um, in the payment space broadly and including in transportation. And we're partnering and, and we're in discussions with a number of them to um, understand how we can partner and, and work together. So it is a very, the payment space continues to evolve. It, it is very attractive to the fintechs and and it's it's really about efficiency and, and speed of moving data and, and, and payments. What are some of the little hidden things you saw in the data this month, or I shouldn't say this quarter, that maybe aren't quite as obvious in your spend and shipping index? What are some of the things that you walked away from in looking over the data? Well, I, I think a couple of things we've touched on is um, um, what's happening in different parts of the country is related, but it's also independent of each other. So when we talked about the Midwest and the Southwest, those are two very different things that are that are happening, but it is all contributing to us to the slowdown. What we're also seeing is um, um, a return, if you will, to services from purchasing of goods. So that's um, part of you know what we're seeing as far as a slowdown in shipments as well. Households are purchasing more services than they are goods um, at this point in time, and so there's a, a flavor of that as well. And then you layer across that, um, the topic we've talked about around moving back to contracted rates versus spot market rates and, and the demand for that. And then finally, 
you layer in some of the natural disasters and the hurricane activity while it didn't while it was happening as the index um, was being produced you know that will have an impact on on next quarter's activities as well so this that's one of the exciting things about this space is there's always something evolving and changing and um, that's why we're just really excited to deliver this index and and allow customers to use this in, in helping them make decisions. Right, let's say I'll give you one last question. That's one I try to give anybody who's marketing their service into the uh, into the market. Uh, let's say it's time for your elevator speech on what U.S. Bank does and why people should use their services as opposed to somebody else. What do you tell them? Here's what we tell them. We tell them that uh, we're the only bank in this space um, by being a regulated uh, entity we have security above any others, and, and we can provide predictable and transparent data to you to help you make informed decisions. And that is an elevator speech. <laughs> That's nice and brief. Most people's elevator speeches go on a little bit too long. So I guess you get kudos for that. Thanks, John. We want to thank Jeffrey Pape. He's the senior vice, the senior vice president and general manager for transportation solutions at U.S. Bank, the largest processor of invoices in the trucking sector. You have been watching Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. We're part of the FreightWaves family of TV shows. I'll call them shows, TV shows, podcasts uh, on FreightWaves TV. We're also on all the major podcast platforms. You can listen to us there. As I said, I'm your host, John Kingston, and please join us again.